Hush. As you've heard today, we're talking about peace as it relates to Jesus in the Advent season. And at the end of this service, I'm going to invite you and give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as peace. To know what it means to have your sins forgiven. To know what it means to offer your life to God and begin a relationship with him that will touch you every day and for all eternity. And so I invite you to be listening carefully and saying, Jesus, is this for me through the course of this message? And I'm going to do it all from the perspective of hush. We live in a noisy world. I think in particular in December, the noise and the volume turns up in our lives. There's more activities, more TV specials, more people trying to sell you things, more parties, more busyness, more going on. And the first Christmas had many things going on, but one of the things that was going on during the first Christmas was hush. We're going to be reading, if you have your Bible or your device, from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 5 through 25, and 57 through 64. And as it is read to you, I remind you that this is the word of the Lord. During the rain... King Herod the Great of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah who served in the temple as part of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also from a family of priests and was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, living virtuously and following the commandments of the Lord blamelessly. But they were childless since Elizabeth was barren and now they were both quite old. One day, Zachariah's priestly order was on duty, and he was serving as priest. He was chosen by the casting of lots according to the custom of the priesthood, and so the honor fell upon Zechariah to enter the holy place and burn incense before the Lord. A large crowd of worshipers had gathered to pray outside the temple at the hour when incense was being offered. All at once, an angel appeared to him, standing just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was startled and overwhelmed with fear, but the angel reassured him, saying, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God is showing grace to you, for I have come to tell you that your prayer for a child has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to name him John. His birth will bring you much joy and gladness. Many will rejoice because of him, and he will be one of the great ones in the sight of God. He will drink no wine or strong drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even while still in his mother's womb, and he will persuade many 
in Israel to convert and to turn back to the Lord their God. He will go before the Lord as a forerunner with the same power and anointing as Elijah the prophet. He will be instrumental in turning the hearts of their fathers in tenderness back to their children and the hearts of the disobedient back to the wisdom of their righteous fathers. And he will prepare a united people who are ready for the Lord's appearing. Zechariah asked the angel, How do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man. My wife is too old to give me a child. What sign can you give me to prove this will happen? And then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand beside God himself. He has sent me to announce to you this good news. But now, since you did not believe my words, you will be stricken silent and unable to speak until the day my words have been fulfilled at their appointed time and a child is born to you. That will be your sign. Meanwhile, the crowds outside kept expecting him to come out. They were amazed over Zachariah's delay, wondering what could have happened inside the sanctuary. When he finally did come out, he tried to talk, but he couldn't speak a word, and they realized from his dress gestures that he had seen a vision while in the holy place. He remained mute as he finished his days of priestly ministry in the temple and then went back to his own home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for the next five months. With joy, she exclaimed, See how kind it is of God to gaze upon me and take away the disgrace of my barrenness. When Elizabeth's pregnancy was full term, she gave birth to a son. All her family and friends and neighbors heard about it, and they too were overjoyed, for they realized that the Lord had showered her with his wonderful mercy. When the baby was eight days old, according to their custom, all the family and friends came together for the circumcision ceremony. Everyone assumed that the parents would name the baby Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth spoke up and said, No, his name is John. What? they exclaimed. No one in your family line has that name. And so they gestured to the baby's father to ask what to name the child. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to the amazement of all, he wrote, His name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and his first words were praises to the Lord. So this priest, Zechariah, godly man, a siddiq, which means someone that aspires to a higher level of righteousness in that culture, is doing his shift work in the temple. The angel Gabriel appears to him and biblically the universal response whenever an angel appears is fear immediately. But the angel says to him, it's okay. It's okay. Don't be afraid. I've got good news for you. You and Elizabeth have not been able to have children. You've been praying for children for so many years. 
And God is going to give you a son. And he's going to give you a uniquely gifted son. A son filled with the Holy Spirit right from the time of his birth. And you are to name him John. And he is going to prepare Israel to receive the promised Messiah. The one that you have been waiting for, for the collective history of the nation of Israel. And the world has been waiting for. Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, had a unique approach to things sometimes. And what he would like to do, and we see this on display here, is he would take people and he would put them in interesting situations and he would contrast how they would respond. Because in verse 26 on in chapter one, which we didn't read, which you could read later, the angel Gabriel Gabriel also meets with Mary and says to her, You are highly favored. And even though you are a virgin, the Holy Spirit will come upon you supernaturally and you will miraculously conceive a child, the Messiah. The passage says that she's initially greatly troubled because she understands she has a lot to lose. And it's a little hard for us to grasp in our culture. But you have to understand in her culture, what that meant was her marriage would be off. And in all likelihood, she would never get married, which was a big deal. She would likely lose her home. Her parents would kick her out. She'd lose all her friends. They would ostracize her. She would lose her job if she had one. And very possibly she would lose her life for this. You have to understand, Mary had no spiritual credentials like Zachariah. She is young. Most people assume that she was probably a younger teenager. We're not talking 17, 18, 19, younger than that. She is very poor. She is likely undereducated. She is undistinguished from the masses, but she is not naive. And she knew enough to know what she stood to lose. And yet her response is this. I don't totally understand this, but Lord, I am in. Whatever you say, I say yes to. I am your servant and I will do whatever you say. And that takes courage. And if you're a teenager here today or a younger person, God has great things for you. Not this thing, but other things. But it will require courage. And this young girl had Victoria Cross kind of courage. And receiving the peace of God begins with a posture like that of humble obedience of openness to what Jesus has. Zachariah, on the other hand, who everyone in that culture, and I mean everyone, would have expected to have been much more spiritually advanced than Mary because he was very well educated. He was mature. He was experienced. He was a priest in that day, unlike this day, in that day, everybody looked up to them. 
He was a spiritual leader in the nation. He knew the Torah. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He would have known them verbatim. He served in the temple, which was the central place of worship for the entire nation. How does he respond by contrast when the angel talks to him? Not possible. Can't happen. God can't do this. I'm too old. My wife is past the age of being able to have a child. Mr. Angel, you have the wrong guy. And Gabriel says to him, I beg to differ. I am a messenger of the most high God. I stand in the presence of God. How dare you say what God can or cannot do? You know, there's a warning to us in that. You will be silent. Hush. And you will not be able to speak until the day your wife gives birth because you have not believed the promise of the Lord, your God. Now it's interesting because God does some interesting things in his life during the silence during hush. And he comes out of the temple and he's been in there an unusual amount of time. He's waving his hands. He's gesturing. And he's trying to tell everybody that he has seen an angel just using his hands to communicate. And I'm going to add another layer to this because it's likely he can't hear very well. And this was a pre-existing condition. And I say this because if you read in the, when Debbie read in verse 62, when they want to ask him what to name the kid, they don't say it to them, him. They make gestures to him. And so I'm guessing, but I'm guessing he has great difficulty hearing as well. Try to imagine your life like that for a moment. You can't speak, and in all likelihood, your hearing is severely limited. And so you could kind of watch TV, but it'd be very limited. You could get on the internet, but it'd be limited. Watch a movie, but limited. No radio, no Spotify, no iTunes. Severely limited external stimulation to guide your thoughts because people would communicate with you less and less and less as they're frustrated having to see you write things out. And so the stimulation you would receive externally would be very limited. Hush. You know, we complain about the noise sometimes. <laughs> But silence like that is a different matter. And a lot of us in our world run from silence. Got to have the music on, got to have the TV on, whatever. But Zachariah is largely alone with his thoughts. And I'm guessing that it, the immediate reaction would have been denial. This can't be my life. This couldn't have happened. I would imagine maybe he moved on from that to anxiety. 
how am I going to live? I can't speak. And if it's true, I can barely hear. I think very quickly you would graduate to extreme frustration because people wouldn't read what you were trying to write and you wouldn't always have the writing materials handy. You probably would become very angry, very bored. And then eventually there'd be a sense of a bit of resolution and your mind would begin to turn to whatever you had filled your heart with. See, the Bible says that's what happens, right? It says in chapter six of the same book of Luke, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I don't believe that God made him silent just to control his mouth. I think God's goal was to transform Zachariah's heart. Even though he'd walked with God all his life, He still needed his heart transformed. Can I ask you, would you like to have your heart transformed by the peace of Jesus? It could be that right now your mind is racing with all that's going on in your world. I have to get this. I'd like to get that. I should avoid this. I really want to avoid them. I really should do that. In silence, the reality of God becomes much more focused and much clearer to Zechariah. I'm guessing, and just a guess, that he played over in his mind his activities with his wife, his role as a priest, and because he was a man very well educated in Bible, I think he would have turned to the Bible. But he found himself frustrated because he couldn't effectively share the latest temple news. He couldn't effectively do his job. He couldn't effectively share with people. My wife's child is being sent on a special mission from God. And so he's given space by God to learn what is actually important in life. And he has nine months to learn. Nine months for his heart to be transformed. Are you ever deliberately quiet? Do you ever, do you ever make time for God to, to speak? And to say, I'm open to being transformed. If you know the story of Jesus at all, you know that he often observes silence. He launched his public ministry at the age of 30, which was sort of the age in that culture when you were seen as being mature and you had more of a platform to speak. He immediately spends 40 days in silence and solitude. In other words, silence, not talking to other people, just speaking to his father. If you read the Gospels, which are these historical, biographical accounts of the life of Jesus... Jesus spoke to people all the time. He was a talker. People were clamoring to be with this guy all the time. If anybody heard, he was kind of like the rock star of the nation. If he was in the area, people were drawn to him immediately. 
He could have been busy with people 24-7, but he would often withdraw, the scripture says, to solitary places to be with his father. He did this before he chose his leadership team. After he feeds the 5,000, the crowds want to make him king. He immediately withdraws and goes to spend some time with his father in silence. After his cousin, John, that's spoken about in this passage, is executed, Jesus withdraws into silence. And we live in a much noisier and faster paced world than Jesus did at this time. Yet he needed and saw the need to be quiet with his father so that God could touch his heart. Do you ever even take an hour or maybe even a morning or a day not to speak or just to say, I'm going to speak very little. I'm going to just turn down the volume and I'm going to say, Jesus, is there something you want to say to me? Or here's a crazy one. Take a day to just not complain. I'm not going to complain about anything. And I'm going to just see if Jesus has something to say to me in this day. The scripture says, be still and know I'm God. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. You know, the point of silence is not to show outwardly how spiritual I am. Because we can be quiet. And some people are really quiet. We can be quiet and yet all messed up at the same time. Old story. This guy wants to join a monastery. They tell him, well, this is kind of a silence type monastery, the monks here. And so you're going to be on probation for the first three weeks. And during those three weeks, you basically have to take a vow of silence and you only get to speak two words each week. And so the first week goes by, he meets with the head monk, which is called an abbot. And he says to the abbot, bad food. Another week goes by, he meets with the abbot and he says, hard bed. Last week of probation goes by, meets with the abbot and he says, I quit. And the abbot says, I'm not surprised. Ever since you came here, all you did was complain. (laughs) We can be quiet and have a bad heart. So it's not about how silent I am. But it's through silence saying, Jesus, would you like to say something to me that will change my life? I'm willing to hear. And so God wanted to do something in the life of Zechariah. And for nine months, he gave him time to hush. And that changes a person. And for Zechariah in, in that time, God became a living reality in his life in a way I don't think he'd ever been because in verse 63, when he's asked what to name the boy, he goes against all of the cultural norms. The cultural norms would have dedicated that he would have named this kid after himself or one of his relatives as a way of honor. 
And so he goes against all of the cultural narrative and he writes his name is John. And by doing this, he is saying, I repent of my unbelieving heart. I believe, I submit, I obey. And immediately in verse 64, his tongue is loosed, his mouth is open. And the first words out of his mouth are words of praise to God for what he's learned and experienced and given himself to in these nine months. There's this strange silence at the beginning of the gospel of Luke. It also is compared to, and it lines up with another kind of silence in the life of Jesus. It points back to a prophecy about the life of Jesus that was written 700 years before what happened in Luke chapter one. It says in Isaiah chapter 53, speaking about Jesus, he will be oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears are silent. So he did not open his mouth. And if you read the story of Jesus during the time when he's falsely accused and lied about and they manufacture evidence, false evidence against him. And he goes to the cross all through that process. Jesus fulfills that prophecy that was written 700 years before, because we're told that Jesus is silent before the high priest. He's silent when the people mock him. He is silent before the Roman governor, Pilate. He is silent before the Judean governor, Herod. And in Matthew chapter 27, it says, but Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. The governor says, don't you get it? I have the power of life and death over you. And you're not responding to the charges. Here's the big deal. And this is a big deal. In the chapter right before that, Jesus is chatting with his leadership team. And he says, guys, I could say one word. And I would be provided with at least 12 legions. That's 60,000 angels to stop my arrest, to stop any suffering, to stop me going to the cross. You not know, guys, that I could hit eject at any time with one word. See, the great temptation Jesus is faced with all the days was to be the Messiah, but not to suffer. That's how the evil one tried to tempt him. I'll make sure you're huge. You don't have to suffer. In my world, you can get whatever, all this stuff, but you won't have to suffer. And so all through this process, all of heaven and all of hell is watching. When Jesus was born, when Jesus lived life, when Jesus went up to Jerusalem, even though everybody told him, don't go, we're concerned that they're going to try and kill you. He goes to Jerusalem knowing that's exactly what's going to happen. All of heaven, all of hell is watching while he's in the garden. 
They're watching at the trials. They're watching when he's on the cross because they know one word from Jesus and there will be no birth. There will be no suffering. There will be no death. There will be no sin taken care of and laid on him. There will be no separation from the father. One word from Jesus, his blood will not be shed. No lamb will be slain. No curse carried, no sacrifice atoned for, no debt paid, no redemption, no grace available for whoever would receive it. You see, part of the reason we are offered salvation is because Jesus did not say one word. I can't help but wonder if Jesus changed his whole life for hush. One word and no peace available for anyone. Are you like Zachariah? In need of Jesus to do something in your life? Because this is why Jesus came. He came to offer you peace. He didn't have to do it, but he said, I will lead you in a new direction in life. I am coming, Jesus said, on mission for you. And so he chose to be born. He chose to live among us. He chose to be silent. He chose to die on the cross for you. And why is that? The Bible is very clear. (laughs) There's no ambiguity here that every single human being has a sin problem. Every one of us. You often hear me say this. I say it again. You are not compared to other people. We like to do that. Oh, I'm better than them. I'm not this. I'm not that. We are only compared to God and we fall way short. Every one of us has a sin problem. God is absolutely holy. God is absolutely pure. We, on the other hand, are born with a propensity, with a nature to offend God and to offend other people. To not do the things scripture says, um, to do the things we know and make the choice to do things we know are wrong or not to do the things we know are right. And the Bible calls those things sin. And the result in every case, without exception, is eternal separation from holy God. The result in every case is a life that ends in hell. And Jesus speaks about this a lot, a lot. However, because he loves us, he comes on mission fully aware that there's not one human being that deserves or can earn in any way what he did for us on the cross. Instead, he says, I'm going to make a peace offering to Holy God on your behalf. And I'm going to die in your place. And I'm going to take what you deserve on me, even though I don't deserve it. The Bible calls that grace. 
something that's offered to every human being to accept or reject. And it means like Zachariah, we have to acknowledge, we have to believe, we have to submit to and be transformed by Jesus. It means I acknowledge and I am remorseful for my sin. It means I acknowledge that I'm hopelessly separated from God. I don't have a chance. There's nothing I can do to bridge the chasm between me and God. But now I understand clearly, Jesus, that based on your sacrifice for me, that you're willing to forgive me. Would you forgive me for my sin? I believe you were born just like it says in the Bible. I believe you went up to Jerusalem. I believe you went to the cross for me. I believe you died. I believe you rose from the dead. And I don't totally understand it. Like Mary didn't totally get it, but she said, I'm in. And she said, yes. And I surrender myself like Zachariah did later, like Mary did right away to your leading. You are my master. You are my Lord. And when you do that, Jesus says, you will be forgiven. You will receive peace, the peace of God. And you will receive grace. And you do this by faith, asking by faith. In just a moment, I'm going to invite everyone to bow their head and close their eyes. Whether you're here in this room or if you're on site, off site rather, and you're watching online, if you're online in your living room or something, I want you to close your eyes there and bow your head because this is a holy moment. And what I'm going to do in just a moment is I'm going to ask you to do that just so that you're not surprised. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and receive Christ. And we're going to get you, what I'll do is I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to ask you to raise your hand so I can see. And it's a sign to God, and I'll see it too, that you're wanting to do this. And then I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get you to pray along with me. And then one last thing, I'm going to ask you to go and tell someone else. It helps solidify it in my heart. And there'll be some people up front that you can come and talk to. They can give you some stuff to help you start growing in your relationship with Jesus. But you go and you tell someone else. You can tell the person you came with. God likes that when you do that. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes right now. And so if you would like to receive Christ in the way I've talked about, please just, and you've never done it before, just raise your hand so I can see nice and high. So I'm just looking around. I'm not going to try to pressure you, but I see, yeah, I see some people. Okay. All right. That's good. Okay. Why don't you pray along with me? And I'll just pray slowly. You can repeat it. You can do it silent. You can do it out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you were born, that you lived, 
that you died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. Thank you for doing that. I recognize I have done sinful things. I know there's nothing I can do to pay for my sin. I ask for forgiveness based on what you did for me. I offer my life to you now as fully as I can for you to lead, for you to shape, for you to guide. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for walking with me every day. And thank you that one day I'll spend eternity with you. I pray this now in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And again, for those that receive Christ, I invite you to go and tell someone about it so that you can begin growing in your new relationship, help growing your relationship with Jesus. We're going to conclude our time, our service now. remind you of two things in about 10 minutes we're going to have that little going away thing for justine in the gym you are welcome to go it'll be maybe 15 minutes long something like that there's a card to sign and i remind you come to simply christmas come with a heart praying for people outside the family come with a smile on your face and in your heart as we invite our community in It's a huge event. Come and serve. If you see a piece of paper on the ground that's kind of messy, pick it up. Let's work together. Let's point people to Jesus. There's three services that day. There's no service in the morning. There's horse-drawn hay rides. There's a live nativity. There's going to be food. There's going to be music. We're going to have fun, but we're going to worship Jesus together. Would you come? Would you help us? Let's do this together. Let's pray. Father, as we go, we're deeply grateful for sending the Lord Jesus. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. And as we go now, we go with our lives transformed by the living Christ. And we're going to have a great Christmas, we pray, but we pray it's focused on you, Lord Jesus, in every way. So we go now seeking to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you, if you'd like someone to pray with you, Dennis and Sharon are up here at the front, my right, your left. They'd be honored to pray with you. God bless.